0: We begin a new series today called For Tyler. And um, for those of you who are over, um, let's go with 50 years old, um, at the front of that is a hashtag. (laughs) It's not a number sign, it's a hashtag. And it's for social media purposes so that things can be grouped and found easily. And so I, I know I've already had a lot of people saying, in the world that we put a number sign at the beginning of the... It's a hashtag, and we'll get to that as we go through this series of why it's there and um, what we're going to do with that. So um, we, we're beginning this series, and it's called For Tyler, um, because we live in a world that um, is strongly, sternly, um, adamantly against things. I mean, you, you turn on the news... You walk outside, you see people protesting, you see people arguing, people who are against the Republicans and people who are against the Democrats, and people who are against the independents and the conservative and the liberals and the police and the military, and racism and abortion and minorities and illegal immigration and homosexuality, and I can promise you, the list could be a thousand times longer. People are very focused on what they are against. And it's easy as churches to become a group of people who is known for what they are against. But the question we're going to wrestle with during this series is what are you for? We we can spend lots of time talking about all of the things that you are against. But I think the more important question, because it is a unifying question, is what are you for? Because when we define ourselves by what we are against, we spend all of our time and energy focusing on who is on the outside who does not belong on the inside. But when we focus our mind on what we are for, it becomes an invitation to join us as we journey together toward the same goal. And the problem is what you are against has the capability to blind you to what you are for. You can become so focused on all the things that you are against that you forget and lose sight of what you are actually for and what you want to happen in this world. And we form these alliances based on two criteria, what we are for and what we are against. I I think no better place have we seen this than in one of the last several elections, where you have people voting on a candidate, not who they're for, but just simply voting against another candidate. And the crazy thing is you see this polarity as people um, divide and divide and get further and further apart. And what happens is you get further and further apart and further and further to the wings. The groups get smaller. And I think you see that in our country. You have the right and the left, the far right and the far left. They are the smallest group groups in our country because the vast Americans aren't out on the wings, the far right and far left. They're somewhere in the middle. But the smallest group, as the group gets smaller, the voices get louder. And the yelling and the anger increases. And the opposition. And we define ourselves and we draw lines based on what we are against. And so in this series, the question that we're going to wrestle with as a church, as Shiloh Road, what are we for? You see, this begins with a, a really important task. Doug, can I borrow you for a second? I didn't tell Doug I was going to do this or anyone else who's fixing to be part of the sermon. Um, Doug, you, you get to be um, the kingdom of darkness. I love you. I don't think Doug is the dark king of the underworld. Um But um, you have this task, Mike, you look like a holy and righteous person. (laughs) Just scoot scoot on back. You want to grab the end of that rope right there? And your job in this world is to pull against the kingdom of darkness and bring light into this world. And I I don't want you to do it hard because I don't want you to hurt Doug because we know your strength and power. But, but both of y'all pull against a little bit, one another. And we form this tension where we're pulling back. And, and the beauty of this is Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to join in. Can you join in the, the fight? And, and we're going to pull this way. And can you join in the fight? You want to join? I'm not going to ask you because you're hurt. Can you join in the fight? John, I'll even let you in. Yeah, come on. Come on. We're we're pulling back. And what happens, no, just right up there. That's that's great. What's great is we start to pull, and there is so much strength in this unity. Because what we are for is we are for the kingdom of God coming in power and strength and pulling against the kingdom of darkness. And what happens is we start to pull it. Don't don't lose sight. Don't lose sight. Don't, don't lose your grip, Satan. <laughs> and we start to pull against it. But something happens along the way. As John here hears that, man, we're doing some great work pulling against the kingdom of darkness. But you know what, John? They have a kitchen in their church. Oh my God. I tell you what thing. And and what happens is we start to pull a little bit more. You're you're still pulling that way, but I want you to go a little bit more this way. And and you know what, Tim? You know what, Tim? This church, we take communion with more than one cup. In cold and flu season. (laughs) And, And we start to pull. And what happens over time is we start to find these little issues that we're pulling against. And we're still pulling, but then this division crops up. And instead of just pulling this way, we start pulling this way a little bit more. And we find out that we're not liking what they're doing, and so we're pulling this way, and we're pulling this way. And you're still pulling that, you're you're kingdom of, of God right here and marching on strong. But I want you to watch what happens. Keep, keep pulling, John. Keep pulling. You can let go. Because I think what Satan does is he says, this is perfect. I don't have any more work that I need to do. Because I have them pulling against each other. And not against the kingdom of God. Thank y'all. And we know next week no one will sit in the center's aisle. <laughs> and we find ourselves defining who we are based on all the things that we're against. And we draw these lines and we define ourselves and we sink in and we prepare to fight. But what happens when we become a church? Not who's known for what we're against, but known for what we're for. So a guy named Jeremiah decides to write this letter because God has called him to be a prophet to Israel and to Judah and to speak his word boldly on his behalf. And when Jeremiah begins writing this letter, there's a guy named Josiah who is now king of Judah. And he's reigning in Jerusalem. He becomes king at the age of eight. And he reigns in Jerusalem for 31 years. And Josiah wasn't like the kings before him who had kind of gotten Israel off track and kind of gone their own ways and done evil in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was different because Josiah tried to turn Judah back to God. And he spoke boldly and prophetically to Judah. And it says this about Josiah, neither Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. And so Josiah is trying with all he has to be for the kingdom of God and pull Israel back together in unity. But Israel has the unfortunate location of being right in the crosshairs Of a major trade route and a very valuable piece of land. And it's sandwiched right between Egypt to the southwest, Assyria to the north, and Babylon to the east. And you want to put up the map. Judah finds itself right there in the center of everything that's happening. And Josiah becomes king and he goes out to battle against Egypt, because Babylon is rising to power, and so Egypt and Assyria get together and they form an alliance. They say, we don't really know what we're for, what we do know is we're against Babylon taking all of our strength and our power. And they form this alliance, and Josiah goes out to battle against Pharaoh Nico, and Necho kills Josiah. And the people rally around, um, Josiah's son. His name is Jehoias. And they anoint him the king now over Judah. But his reign is short-lived. It lasts merely a three months. If you want to kind of catch up, because I gotta remember who's next. <laughs> <laughs> Jehoiaz. Sorry. Sorry, Justin. Um, Jehoiaz is now king, and his reign lasts about three months. And Pharaoh Nico takes him into captivity. And he appoints Josiah's other son, Jehoiakim, as the new king over Judah. And he imposes this heavy tax on the people of Judah. And it's Jehoiakim's job to make sure the taxes are levied in the way that they're supposed to be. And all of the money is coming back to Pharaoh because Pharaoh is basically ruler in Egypt and Assyria are together. They're fighting in Babylon. They're trying to take more ground. And they're trying to bring Judah in. And so now they control Judah. But this whole time where Egypt and Assyria are forming this alliance and gaining more and more ground, you have Babylon that's rising to power. And during Jehoiakim's reign, a new king comes on the scene. And he wins a battle at Carchemish against Israel, I'm sorry, against Egypt and Assyria. And now the new king is this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. You ever heard of him? And Nebuchadnezzar is now the king, and he appoints a new client king, the son of Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. That was creative, right? Change the last letter. How would you like to be in kindergarten? Jehoiakim. Um, sorry, mine goes different places than yours, probably. <laughs> and Jehoiachin becomes the king, and he reigns for about three months, and then. Nebuchadnezzar sets up Zedekiah. And he makes him basically a client king, a puppet king for Babylon. And he's responsible for ruling over Judah. And for nine years of his 11-year reign, he does it faithfully, serving Nebuchadnezzar. But in year nine, he rebels. And then Nebuchadnezzar is so angry and so furious he decides now is time to fully take Jerusalem and get every remnant, every part of Israel, every part of Judah out of the city because it's going to be his. And so it says in the eighth year, in the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner as the Lord had declared and Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and the And cut up the gold articles that Solomon, the king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men and all the skilled workers and the artisans, a total of 10,000, only the poorest people of the land were left. And just a little bit later, the city is going to be destroyed and everyone else is going to be kicked out of the city and sent into exile. And Jeremiah is writing a letter encouraging them to remain faithful to God, to be obedient to God. And in the midst of this, you come to the part where Jerusalem is destroyed and all of the people are finally sent fully into exile. And in that moment, Jeremiah writes a letter to these exiles. And this letter is found in chapter 29. I'm going to let you go home, and you can read the entirety of the letter because it starts with with some encouragement to them, and it ends with a lot of rebuke for not living as the people of God. So I want to read you part of this letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Now, if you're just listening to this story, you probably don't get the picture that God carried the people into exile. The the picture probably looks like more, it was the disobedience of Israel, of Judah, that carried themselves into exile. But but he points out that it was God who carried them into exile. It, It was their sin, it was their disobedience that led them, but God went with them. He takes them there. And he says, build houses, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. He's going to go on to tell them, I want you to move into the city where you live in exile and settle down. I want you to build a house for yourself. And I want you to plant gardens and eat the food that it produces. He goes on to say this. Marry. And have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. And your goal here is to increase in number. Do not decrease. I'm going to send you into this city. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to take you there. And I want you to settle down in the midst of it and be a part of it and bring life to it. I want you to increase in number. And then he goes on to say this. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. He reminds him again. I've taken you there. And you have a responsibility in the midst of the city. Seek the peace and the prosperity of that city. Going on, he says, pray to the Lord for it because... Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here's what I want you to do as exiles, as foreigners. I want you to go into the city in which you are an exile, and I want you to be for the city. I I want you to seek its well-being. I want you to seek peace and prosperity there. I want you to help it to flourish and bring life to it. This is your calling. This is what you're going to do. I want you to pull with all of your might against the kingdom of darkness and bringing peace and prosperity to that city. We want you to bring the blessing of God, you might say, to the city. And this brings up a really, really important question for us as churches. One, what do we want to be known for? What what is it that we want people to know about us? What do they want? What do we want them to know that we're for? And then, two, what is it that we're actually known for? Because I talk to people throughout this city about Shiloh Road. And and for Church of Christ, for for my entire life, the things I've heard people say, we all think you're the only ones going to heaven. Anyone ever heard that? Y'all are the ones that don't believe in musical instruments. I've also heard y'all are the ones that used to have a school. I, I wonder today in Tyler, Texas, what we're known for. I wonder at times tomorrow if our doors closed, would anyone even notice? Or is it just another church that's closed its doors and now there's a new real estate sign It says, for sale. But people notice. And it got me thinking. We know all of the things that we want to be against. What are we actually for? What matters to us? And here are some of the things that I I came up with. We're for people. We're for children. We're for life. We're for the oppressed. We're for healing what is broken. We're for freedom from addiction. We're for marriages. We're for peace and prosperity. There there are so many things, and that list could go on and on and on. Why is it with so many things that we want to be known for and be for in this world is our mind consumed? Simply by what we are against. So, what does it look like to be a church that's for the city? What, what is it? Because we, we have some, some hills to climb as the church. Not, not just with our fellowship, but the church in general. You, you turn on the news or pull up the internet and you see the Catholic Church scandal, sex scandals. And whether you like it or not, we get painted with the same brush by people who do not belong to Christ. They group us all together. And we have a lot to overcome. There's a lot that people think of us. So how? How do we become a church who's known for what we want to become known for? We figure out what we are for, and we join in along others who are pulling in the same direction. And I want to take just a second to do a little bit of butt removal, Uh, because I know when I say something like that, we join in with those who are pulling in the same direction, and we pull alongside with them. I know there are some big butts that come up. The first one is this, but what if they're not one of us? What what if they don't belong to our group? The, The question is, what are they for? What what direction are they pulling in? And I think Jesus addresses this because John, one of his apostles, comes to him and he says, Teacher, we got a problem. We saw someone who was driving out demons in your name and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. And Jesus tells him, Do not stop him. Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name in the next moment can say something bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Who who is it that's pulling in the same direction, who's for the same things that we are? Grab hold of the rope and pull as hard as you can in that direction. Are, Are there theological differences? Yes. But are they pulling in the same direction we are? Yes. Then grab the rope and pull. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. The second but, but what if they're not Christians? But what if they don't even believe in Jesus? What if they're pulling in the same direction and we're not even on the same page? Remember, if we're forming alliances based on what we're for, we grab the rope. Because God had this crazy plan that his people would walk into the midst of the darkness and plant themselves there and live as people of light in the midst of the darkness. And here's what I know about light. Light in the midst of darkness cannot go unseen. Light must be seen. And there is no better place to have a conversation about what we believe and about what Jesus is doing in our life than when we're pulling alongside people who are all pulling in the same direction. You know why we're pulling this way? Because we believe that God has called us to pull against the kingdom of darkness with all we have. And we're going to find people who are doing that, and we're going to join in them. And we're going to tell them what Jesus has done for us as we're pulling and why we have hope and why we believe that one day things will be set right and that one day things will be as they were supposed to be because we believe that God is resurrecting all things and he's making all things new, and so we're going to pull with all our might against that kingdom in the hopes that God will use us to be a light in the midst of the darkness, bringing hope and healing to this world. He says to these people, I'm sorry, excuse me, skipping forward a little bit to another set of exiles. Because the Bible is written largely to people who live in exile. And this group of exiles would probably include us, but Peter is writing to a church who is in exile, and, and Ryan did such a fantastic job this morning reading that. But he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That that we understand what God has done in our life and how He's brought us from the darkness to the light. So He says to those people who are all trying to pull in the same direction against the kingdom of darkness, He says this, Dear friends, I urge you, is foreigners, is aliens, is exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war, wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits you. What is it that we are for? What matters to us? Because if you're not careful, what you are against will blind you to what you are for. Thankfully, there are a lot of people in our church who are for a lot of good things. This group right here is the Sewing Sisters. They meet every Thursday, and they make blankets, and they make bears, and they take them to different people. But this picture was taken because they heard about a group in Tyler, Texas called the Refuge of Light. And Refuge of Light is a group that is committed to rescuing young girls out of sex trafficking and coming alongside of them. And the Sewing Sisters heard about this group and they said, we want to meet with you. We want you to tell us about your ministry. We're for what you are for. Are there theological differences? Yes, I can promise you that. Are they for setting girls free because we believe that that is oppressive and the kingdom of darkness making its impact on this world, then we're going to join in with them and we're going to pull as hard as we can alongside of them. Our trunk or treat. Just a week and a half ago, we celebrated with people in our community. And, And one of the questions that people always ask is, well, how many new members do we have? Listen, that is not the point of this. The point of this is to say to our community, we love you and we want to provide a safe place for your kids to have fun. And here's the thing, you may never see the impact that could have in someone's life. It could be 15, 20, 30 years down the road when this young kid being held by their parents says, you know what? There is a church that loved us and they fed us hot dogs and they gave us candy every single year and I need help and I don't know where else to go so I'm going to go there. You may never see the impact it will have by simply loving people. This last is a group of people at Shiloh and the head of this group is Marshall and Aaron. And If you don't know Marshall and Aaron's story, um, back, and I believe 2012, I don't, is that right? 2012, they lost Emma, Grace, May. Their daughter, um, who was just a few days old. And they said, you know what? We don't want other people to experience what we have had to experience alone. Because their church family surrounded them and held them up and helped them during this difficult, difficult time. And so they said, we're going to form... A, a resource that we can give to people in the hospital. And out of that came Grace Boxes. And it's a box that's given to every single mother in the Trin- Trinity Mother Francis Hospitals who loses a child. It is the resource that they use. And it tells a little bit about their story. <clears throat> And it says, We as a church are committed to walking alongside you through this, even offering them a mill train if that is needed. Those are just a few examples of what it looks like to grab the same rope and pull as hard as we can. And, and the question how do we start to make this transition? One is we pull on the same rope. We pull on the same rope in the same direction because we have been called to pull against the kingdom of darkness with everything that we have, to exhaust ourselves, to wear ourselves out because we are completely committed to God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. Two, we love people with no agenda. And this is difficult. We love people with no agenda and we serve them well. Because an agenda is using people. And using people is completely averse to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not have an agenda. We simply say, here's a bunch of candy, here's a bunch of hot dogs, we love your kids. And I promise you, if you keep showing up in people's lives long enough, both individually and communally as a church, I promise you people will start to take notice. And people will start to say that, that is a place that helps people. That is a place that loves people. That is a place that shares with people. And I'm going to share some more stories as we go through this series of people in our church who are pushing and pulling against the kingdom of darkness with all that they have. Number three, believe. Believe that God has planted you here for a purpose. Remember, Jeremiah says to these exiles, it's God who's carried you into exile. It's God who's walked with you. Believe both where you live in your neighborhood and here is a church that God has planted us here for a purpose. And then, number four is a heart inventory. And it asks these questions one, what breaks your heart? What hurts you? What breaks your heart? Go back to the heart inventory, Dustin, sorry. What is your hurt? What what is it that you look at in the world and you say, that is not right. It's not right that girls who are 13 years old are sold by their parents into sex slavery. It is not right. And something needs to be done. It is not right that people in our community are stuck in a cycle of poverty and they don't know how to get out. It's not right and we want to because I have a burden, I have a hurt for those people. Two, explore. Explore within our community who else is pulling on the same rope that you want to be pulling on. Ask what you can do. Ask what they need help with because I can promise you refuge of light I can promise you PATH. I I can promise you all these other organizations that we partner with have needs. And they will say, we need someone to come sit with young parents and help them. We we need someone who will adopt kids. We we need someone who will provide respite care. I, I can promise you if you have a burden for it and you find someone else pulling on the same rope that you are, there is a need and there will be an opportunity to share Jesus in that moment. Number, next one, resources. What resources do you have at your disposal? We, we don't have much money, but, but I have a lot of skills and I can build things. I, I don't have a lot of mobility, but I can sit and listen to someone. What resources do you have and, and Along with that, what talents do you have? I'm really good at XYZ. We've got to start pulling on the same rope. And as a church, I mean, what, what, we can talk about the bigger picture of Christendom, but just simply as a church, if we ever lose sight of that, that in this room we're all pulling on the same rope together, we've got to profit. It, it brings that question to my mind that's that so important. If our doors closed tomorrow, would anyone notice? Would, would anyone see anything different in our city if we didn't belong? Because if they don't, I don't know if we can call ourselves a church. Because the purpose of the church was to bring Christ into the world. And we have to be about that. And we cannot lose sight of that mission. Our goal is not to be the best church in Tyler. But our goal is to be the best church for Tyler. And my hope (coughs) is that you can take this heart inventory home with you. And you can take it into your groups or maybe even into your Bible classes and go through that together and ask the question, how can we make the biggest impact in the place that we believe God has planted us? Father, today, We pray for your strength, for your power to fill this place. Father, for your spirit to come. And Father, for you to fill us up so that we would go out of this place on fire for you. And Father, that our life would burn with a passion to see Jesus made known in this world. Father, we pray for you to come. But Father, we know that you're coming every single day. And Father, that you come through our lives into this world. And so, Father, empower us. Give us eyes to see. And, Father, give us a heart and a passion for the things that you have a heart and passion for, which is people. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.